Yes, people. Darren G, the Real Crime Real Time podcast. As you can see, we've got Sean. Sean is the one that's put this together, basically. And at the bottom on your screen, we've got Chet, who's a very colourful, reformed character with a fascinating story. You've had, a, have you got a few books out? Oh, we'll speak about your book in a bit, Chet. Okay. Yeah. So introduce yourself then, Chet. Where are you from, mate? What you know? Where you came from? Where was you born? From born Hitchin, Hitchin, Hertfordshire. Um, Is that by Luton? My parents were asked to come in back in the day in 1966 when um, the English wanted immigrants to come across and work over, you know? So they were like invited across. So they were like the original ones, you know, who came across to work, to do the labour, what really white people didn't, didn't want to do, yeah? basically so that's what they came and did and they did that and and that's how we started off so hitch in hertfordshire was the first place where we landed uh my dad's uncles were there we had to live in the same house 12 of us in the same house uh my dad's wages all had to go to him five pound a week he was given to live on just to like because that's how it worked back in the day you know yeah. um because he never had the money for a house they paid for his flight so they said right now you're in debt to us so you gotta we want your wages and you get this much a week to pay your flight back you yeah. know um well i didn't know that that's interesting yeah yeah that's how it, it all started off yeah. anyway, is, is hitchin close to luton luton hitchin hertfordshire stevenage lechworth we lived hertfordshire now is quite a nice area luton it's quite rough. Yeah. Um, Sean, you know the area more than me. How far? Yeah. Are, how far apart are they? Yeah, it's, it's not too far from Luton. Reading yeah, your book. Yeah, no, re yeah. Reading your book chat about you growing up down there. Yes. It, it, it got a lot rougher though, didn't it? In the north, the racism. Yeah, well, let's keep, let's, let's keep let's keep it in Hertfordshire for now. So you, your family come over to work for this country. For the jobs that the white people yes. wouldn't do, basically. Yes. yes. You're born in. You're born down there. How was life as a young man or a young child growing up in that area? What was it like? Was it? Was it? Give us an insight of to what it was like. For me, it was like uh, really weird, yeah, because I wasn't allowed to leave the house. Uh, English, I didn't know until I was nearly four. Punjabi was the only language that was spoken in the house because it was all it was all Indians and that's all what they spoke. The food I had to eat, that food, it was all shit. Uh, school I never went to at that age. Um, I was just sort of basically kept inside the house, you know, until I was about four-ish. Um, childminders, we, we, we had to go with, but they were all illegal and people used to leave all their kids there and the mum and dads had to go to work. So we were left with um, illegal childminders, and then there was a raid once. Um, the police got us all, stuck us in cells until our parents finished work and came to pick us up. Um, it was all a bit of a rough ride. It was all like shit, you know. There was never any good days there, never any like holidays, never days out because my mom and dad ne never had any money. They had to like pay the money back for the people that paid for their flights to come here. So it was like a case of 
right, how much do we have to carry on fucking paying back to you, you know? And um, well, you've came in, you came in, you're in the Indian descent, you're in a predominantly white country. Uh-huh. Was there any racism towards you and your family when you first arrived? Did you yeah, major. The hands of racism stuff? Yes, major. Um, a good example of this is when my dad, this was in 1968, the first time we went, no, 1969, the first time we went out to a bar, um, they said, okay, English pubs, because back then, yeah, Asians and blacks were, were scared to go to a local pub because it was all like white and it was all like back then, bam, 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 stronghold. And they were like sort of scared because the numbers weren't there. And if they did go, it would just be like two to three Asians and it'd be all white people, all drunk. And one example of this is me and my dad and his uncle went. They said, okay, let's go to an English bar, yeah, for a night. They went, right, okay. Because they, they were all around our house. The, the wives were there, the kids were there. We were having a little party. The three men left the house. They left the house, went to a bar. The story was this. They went to the bar and wouldn't get served. The barmaid wouldn't even serve them, serving all the white people, serving all the white people. They wouldn't get served. And then somebody came up to the back of my dad and said, uh, today I joined the National Front and I've got a knife in my pocket. So my dad and his pals, yeah, got scared of this. They weren't getting served. Everyone was looking at them, staring at them. So they just left the bar. Didn't even get a drink. And that was their first experience of going out to a bar in England, you know? And that's not a nice experience, yeah? Uh, but that was his first experience of it. And he told me this when they got back. They're, they're, they're all a bit like sh- shaken up about it. But they try to take it easy uh, as if it's like, okay, this is how it is. This is how it is, and this is how we have to deal with it. So from now, we don't go to the bar no more, you know? We stay away from them areas. We just do what we got to do, and that's just got to fucking work, basically. Just yeah. work, 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 go home, sleep, bam, go back to work, go back to work. Don't go to bars, don't go to restaurants. And these are the ethics what were built into the Asians, and this is why they all stayed at home and made the money. Yeah. <laughs> and now they've all got shops and this and that. And now, you know, it makes sense in a way. Yeah. Because oh, the English you've people... Sorry, mate. You just mentioned um, the National Front. And that yes. was, for people that don't know, that was sort of like a group of racists that years later was the uh, was the equivalent of the EDL movement, weren't it? Yes. Like, the EDL are the quite EDL, mild. Yeah, mild form of the NF, aren't they? Yes, yes, yes. NF was like boobs. Spray painted on your shop, yeah? Okay? Yeah. Spray painted on your house, NF. Boom swastika next to it it was all a bit like skinheads braces bam the big boots it was that was what the national front meetings were and when the national front you used to have marches back in the 80s 70s the 80s they were quite heavy you know they were quite scary it was like a lot of big white blokes boom yeah tight tops braces jeans big boots um walking the streets and they looked and they scared all of us lot, you know, I ain't lying, yeah? But they did have an impact on me. And uh, they were terrifying fucking movement. And they, they, they had, had Yeah. They, 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 they went away slowly. 
I think communities at that time, Chet, and society at that time was a lot more tolerant to their behaviour. Yes, it was. So they could act the way they was acting back then. Yes, it was. The country was yeah. a lot more tolerant. When you move yeah. forward now and you've got these, let's say, new racist organisations that have just come and disappeared, if you like, like the VDL, the community and the society was less tolerant to their behaviour, and that's why they got shut down a lot faster, wasn't it? Easily, so, yeah. When you when 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 did you leave Hertfordshire? Hertfordshire. How, when old, I was four you, years old. how old was you when you left down down them sides? Uh, four, four, four to five. And then where did where was your where was your life? Huddersfield. 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 Well, how, West how Yorkshire. Yeah, that was Huddersfield. Then. Huddersfield was just the same. Um, that was all rough. Um, the marches were. Happening there, Sundays we were told not to go out on a Sunday evening because that was when bashing happened. Sunday evenings, that's when all all the skins are all bored, and so they say, right, bashing because what's on the TV back then? ITV, BBC One, BBC Two. It was all fucking. Um, Chet, Chet, let's let's call it let's call it pee bashing instead of that other word. Okay, sorry for that. It's just because I've been called that up all my life. You know, oh, I think yeah, it's okay yeah. to say it. Yeah, okay, yeah, but right. Yeah. Okay, well, look, the, the, people, the people with brains on here will understand that you're not being racist. Yeah. You're just using a term that you've suffered. Yes, with yes, yes. Along with yeah. So let's just skip to that because it sounds very traumatic. <laughs> yeah. so let's, let's just jump to the age of 16. What were, where was you? What were you doing at them ages? Right, 16, we moved up to Washington, northeast of England. Um, my dad, he had a shop in Huddersfield, but um, the shops up the north were a lot cheaper. Um, and the hours were all a bit laxy days up here. The white people didn't really want to work. They only opened up the shops till about six o'clock and then closed down. Wednesday, half closing. Sunday, don't even open up. So it was like, it, it was there to be done, you know. And this is why the Asians in the 80s moved up to the north because shops were cheap. Drinking culture in the north is massive. And these guys uh, didn't know how to run a shop really so or food takeaways or any sort of business this is why it's all asians yeah who are doing the foods uh the food market retail market down on the street level um we know how to do it we know how to stick the hours in 16 hours a day seven days a week no holidays we don't need it we'll just fucking graft 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 until we get where we want and that was my ethic and that's when we moved up here so this is why i put up with all the fucking shit the racism up here was even worse uh, i think it's i think it's a well um known matter that the more north you go the more yeah. racist it is in this country that's what they say that's right is that, is that even worse yeah it's right, it's right. The further north you go, the, the worse it gets. Uh, so it was all a harsh ride. It was all a harsh ride. But um, you got to ride the harsh ones, haven't you? You got to ride it. You 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 it. And at least you're still sat there, able yeah. to do what you're doing. Now, yeah. without being personal or infringing on your personal life, I'm picking up some sort of um, 
speech impediment here. Is is there yes. anything going on there with the speech? Because yes, seeing... yes, yes, yes. Uh, stutter I've had. Yeah, my uh, brother, he has one as well. Okay, so we so 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 we both have it. Um, when I was young, it was really bad. Yeah, okay, I, I couldn't even say my name. Gachetan's my name, but um, every day in class, we were told to stand up in class in Huddersfield. I was only fucking five, and we had to say our names. Are you here? Everybody else used to stand up. Okay, Sean, I'm here. Yeah, uh, Pete, I'm here. My name, Gachetan, I used to go, gut, gut, gut. So I was a standing joke every morning. So every morning in the class, I was like a standing joke because I couldn't even say my fucking name. Mm-hmm. Um, and this really annoyed me. Because I see to say, my dad, why didn't you just give me a name that was short? Yeah. <laughs> ten letters fucking long. <laughs> it's ten letters long, yeah. I'm like, why are you give me a name like that when I can't even fucking speak? So yeah. I've had this all my life. But um, and my dad, he took me to uh, doctors and this and that. What's wrong with him? He can't even fucking speak. He can't do this. And But they said that will go with confidence. And time, but it will always stay with him. Yeah, it depends on how confident he is. Like I meet guys now my age, and their stutter is still the same as when they were a kid, because their confidence level has not built up. Yeah. Um, and I was told there's nothing that can stop a stutter. Yeah, there's nothing you can take. No pills, no tablet, no like talking to anybody. It's just like your own self. Yeah, your own being stronger in yourself and when you talk to people put yourself out more it's like when i argue stuttering don't that don't happen because i'm fucking on it and my mind is booming on it it's like when people sing stutter uh what's his name ed sheeran he stutters but when he sings he doesn't stutter right that's what i'm saying you wouldn't think he's because he's fluent in his his yes i know yeah yeah, yeah, amazing. Is that, is that what it's like with you when, when you've got passion, when you're becoming a bit aggressive or assertive, the stutter disappears? It goes, it goes. And then it just comes out fast as fuck, and then I don't have fucking type of stutter because I'm on it. Yeah. But when I talk to people on the phone, the stutter comes out and it looks as if I'm a bit backward. But that's up to them, yeah. Well, that's the only reason I've raised that there is because I don't want people thinking, hang on, he, he's not answering the question straight away. He did, 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 did. So, no, what, yeah, I'm yes, yes. That, that what you're being here yes. now is 100% the I've had all my life. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, it's nice to get that out the way. Cool. Okay. What I want to move on to now, then, mate, because you have had a notorious life, haven't you? You have because you are a renowned and you are known as a renowned um, drug smuggler. Uh-huh. So let's speak about your life of crime and how you first started getting into that way of life. What influenced you? What what happened to you for you to right. fall into that way of life? Having having you've said that your family was a businessman, he had shops. Yeah. So yeah. you must have had you must have had other avenues to take. What happened yes, to you for you to participate in criminal activity of your life? Right, okay. The avenues I had was okay. Run the shop with my old man. Buy houses, do this, do that. In this area, in the northeast, then it was fucking hard work. And I thought, I don't want this. Yeah, uh, a clothes shop I opened up. Yeah, that was my thing. Okay, a clothes shop I can do because then my mind was not into crime at the time. Then 
It was uh, just took like business, money, this, that. The clothes shop, that was the opening because that's when I had that in Newcastle Town Centre. That's when I mixed with different people, not people from the council estate. It was people from the town people. What, people year, was it, were, what year was this, mate? This was, we're talking, I was 21, 21. So we're talking um, after 68, 21 years on 68 is? 88. 88. 89. No. 88, 89, 89, 89, 89. The, so beginning of the, the, the beginning of the storm, Sean. The beginning of the storm, Sean. That was the beginning of the storm, wasn't it? <laughs> 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 anyway, that was the that, that was the time I went right. Okay, I can't do this uh, other people aren't taking the shit and they're still making money. So I thought I'd rather just fucking make money and not take fucking shit. So the clothes shop I had, but when I had that, it was high fashion. High fashion. A lot of people were coming to the shop, known firms from uh, Newcastle. Um, back then, bag snatching was a thing. Bag snatching, getting the cards, because it was just a PDQ machine where you put the card in run it through douche douche transaction done you don't have to phone anybody and once that's done you get paid on it paid on it paid on it and um sorry to say but that's how i made money in the early days so that was what led me to crime and then money and then um i started to train steroids and i thought right there's a market on this so i thought i'll build 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 on this market and it's just what, like on the steroid, on the steroid, because you're a big man, aren't you? I can see you there, you're stocky, uh -huh. you're well built. Yeah. So what you're saying is you've went from, let's say, your clothes shop committing credit card fraud, thinking I'm going to need a bit more of this dough. Because you've had that high-grade high clothes shop, you've had the criminal fraternity coming into your shop, and uh -huh. so you start mixing with the local gangsters, if you like. Yeah, yeah. You started training, started doing training, yeah. Yes, I was easily influenced, yeah. I will admit this. I was easily influenced by the guys that were coming in and I was thinking, right, okay, I want that life. I want that life, really, which is wrong in a way. Um, I shouldn't have been so naive and stupid. Um, I should have concentrated on the clothes shop more, on my art more, uh, concentrated on the things I was... Things I could do, you know, not things that like um, I thought were cool as fuck. Not think, okay, I want to be like this. I want to do this. I want to do this. But okay, drugs. I did take it to the high level of the market that I was in, uh, because I think if you're gonna do it, do it to the top level. What was do the it. market? Steroids and Valium pills. Right, so yes, give us an insight. Yeah. Give us an insight on so how you how you've gone into that and how you've managed right, to. Okay. Right, okay. The uh, market on that started as being a dormant because I had to close the shop down because the police were watching my shop, watching my shop. I got told they're watching my shop because all these guys are coming in and they think you're dealing drugs, but like I wasn't. It was just fucking fraud. But um, so I had to close down the shop, make a move. I ripped a lot of people off. I didn't pay a lot of bills. 
and and then I just thought, right, okay, fuck this, I'm gonna be a doorman and sell drugs, which is uh, not like a wise thing to do now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just say I'm gonna be a doorman and sell drugs. You get nicked yeah. about half an hour, <laughs> but that was my thoughts back then, and back then, it nobody else was in the market for the roids um, because it was just tiny, but they all wanted it. Because back then in the 90s, that's when people started to trade, started to get big, started. That was when the whole world came into motion, really, yeah. when everybody got massive. Um, yeah. And I got accused of making everybody big <laughs> in my area. They went, everybody from your village is huge. Why is that? <laughs> that was during my house. <laughs> They're all fucking new to my village in Washington. <laughs> and so that just fucking passed through, passed through. So I thought I'd take it to a bigger level. First, I was going to Spain, Greece, Turkey, holiday styles, taking my missus, taking the kids, blah, 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 bringing a case back. It pays for the holiday. But I thought, listen, this has to be done on a huge level. And Pakistan um, was the best place in the world to go buy them because no country wants to do business with them. Uh, Taliban linked, Al-Qaeda linked, and if you're not from there and you don't pay, pay anybody off, there's a high risk they could take you away and hold you to ransom. And they work with the feds as well. So they're all interlinked, you know, so the, the police wouldn't even say anything. But then, back then, I just had the mindset, okay, I want to do this. I just, I just want to make money. The volume, the volume was a huge market. It was, uh, I was paying nine pounds for a thousand pills. And the street value there is a pound a pill. And I was selling them for 150 pound for a tub of a thousand. So nine pound to 150, Darren, you, that's like better than any drug you know in it, really, in it, isn't it? Isn't it? The percentage, yeah. the, that, the market, percentage. that market is incredible. It's hundred percent. It's it's over hundred yeah. percent profit in it instantly. But how, how, how was the how was the works of that? You know, how did you get them across? What was the right? The, the workings of this is um, Karachi. You have to go to yeah their side. That was quite hard work trying to link up with the original people because they had Karachi on lockdown. Um, if you want. A massive amount there's only one person that you can go to this one firm and they were working with al-qaeda um so they so they knew who i was this and that they said has he got the money and that's why they wanted the money up front on the first showing where when i went to buy the two guys i was with my cousins they were like no 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 i ain't handing no no money over here but i was saying listen we've come all this fucking way there's no other option yeah there's no other option. They control everything here. We have to pay them first. That's how they work. So that was the, the risk we took. And we paid them first. And then the pills came the next day. So we paid so, them. Yeah. Um, did, did they do all, did they get it to you? So you just went over, give the money, and it came to you, where you wherever you no, are. No, no, no. It came. We had to go to their shop, pick it up. It was all in boxes packed up two taxis i had to get to put all the boxes in and then took took them back to the hotel hotel was cool the first time round, um getting them through karachi airport 
was quite a, like funny, yeah. Poor mags. That bought my way through. I bought my way through them because uh, Muslims there, they don't see no white women. It's impossible to get a magazine, no internet, no this, no that. So poor mags we bought at Newcastle Airport because uh, I don't know why we had about six of them, yeah. <laughs> and anyway, we went through and the well, scene I can only imagine why with the amount of steroids that was going through the system, you, your testosterone must have been going through the roof. Well, that's why we had six hormones. Well, we had six days. <laughs> <laughs> When we wake up in the morning, we get out of bed and we start our day with Koro Snacks. Koro is a healthy snacks brand focusing on bringing additive-free natural ingredients to their customers with fair prices in bulk packaging. They have everything from nut butters to free from baking ingredients to cooking essentials and, of course, the snacks. Oh, these Syrian pumpkin seeds from Koro are amazing. I have them on my cheese on toast every morning. You've been getting into them, Jen? Yes, and all the health benefits it brings. <laughs> Look at that. It's quite a lot. It's quite a lot. I don't Lashings know. of them. Right. Pop this in the oven then. So what makes Coro special in comparison to others? Coro cares about sustainability. Their bulk packs save on packaging material compared to small single packs. For a 5% discount on Coro's products, use the code TRUECRIME with no space in between true and crime. The link to Coro's online shop is in the description box on YouTube. Thanks for supporting our sponsor. What, <laughs> so what, you, what happened then? You, the, the porn got you sort of let you get through with, with what you needed to get through the, with? The first time round, yes. And we thought that was fucking a hit, yeah? We were like, bam, buzzing. Newcastle Airport, because you go through Amsterdam. You travel through Amsterdam and that's where you change. And the Amsterdam flights are always at 5.40 a.m. 5.40 a.m. So you land at Newcastle at about 6.40 in the morning time. But these are the times where these flights are empty. And they just think that you've come from Amsterdam. So the Pakistan tags we had on our cases, we'd take them off. The things, the tag, boom. Off, so it looks as if that we've just come from Amsterdam. Right, so yeah. this is how we used to pass through, and it was ideal. It was, it was ideal. Uh, and a few trips I did like that. So I had that all worked out. But the, but the second time I went around to uh, Pakistan, they knew my movements. Uh, they said, right, you have to pay us. The chief narcotics officer, Karachi Airport, he approached me and said, listen, I know who you are. I know what you're doing. Um, how it works like this, yeah? I went, you don't pay nobody here. You don't go through this X-ray system. You go. You don't go through that X-ray system. You pay me a hundred pound a suitcase. And that's all he asked for, a hundred quid a suitcase. And he went, you can take anything you want through. I went, yeah? So how we should do it? Me, my mules, who used to land. I used to phone him. He used to like, I used to enter the airport. Put, he used to like, Little guard, click his fingers, get these cases, take them all the way through. As if I was fucking Prince fucking Charles or something. <laughs> 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 and they walk me through, and everyone used to look at me, thinking, who the fuck is that just getting walked straight through without no x-ray, no nothing, 
Like in Karachi, it's doable. This is amazing. I love them countries, yeah? Because you know what it is with them countries? If you're good with them, loyal with them, don't fuck with them, and do what you're going to say with them, they're all right. They're all right. And they back you up. They back you up. So how long was you in that game before you come unstuck? And what happened when you come unstuck? How, how was you arrested? Was you imprisoned? How long yeah. did you do? What was your experience right. like within the confines of the institutions you went into? What was what was all that about? Okay, okay. Um, right. This run didn't last for a long time, yeah, because I was hitting it up every six six weeks. Um, it was like a constant run. Different mules I was taking over all the time, yeah. Um because when you're with a mule and you have to stay with them for six days, they fucking annoy you. Yeah. John, you might know about this. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you choose a mule. Yeah. You know, right. I, I ain't got a good. Right. You a new mule. New mule. New mule. So it's all new mules. Yeah. Um, so this is a passive time. Um, but, this didn't, but these new mules all talk, don't they? The mistake I made. A mistake I made. I should have stuck with two good mules. We don't open the fucking mouths. Uh, but we all make mistakes, don't we? Yeah. And uh, anyway, that's what happened. And it, it lasted about a year and a half. The full. You were stuck down. Did you end up in prison? I was going back a few times, though. You know, it was. Uh, but it didn't last that long. It was it good last. while it lasted. It was good while it lasted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's good way it lasted, and then uh, the jail come on me. Interpol were on my flights, watching what I was doing. Um, I got caught with the biggest seizure of pharmaceutical drugs in Spanish history. It was all over the news and the papers. Uh, they they gave me a hard time. The police gave me a hard time. They knew who I was, and they taxed me of everything: my watch, my rings, my jewelry, bush, everything, even fags, towels I had. Towels even. The police took my towels. I went, really? I went, you want to take my towels? I went, go on then. Take it. And uh took it all. And the mules, they tried to get to talk against me. Because they said, right, listen, he's a boss. We know this. You're just a mule because he takes. They told him that they knew the whole thing, right? They knew yep. it all. So I don't know how they got that fucking information, but they knew it all. Anyway, so the mules, uh, the mules were young. It was a boyfriend-girlfriend. He was only 21. She was 19. Uh, their first holiday abroad. And they thought they were going to put beach styles. She was packing her bikini and her, <laughs> her sunblock. But really, <laughs> do you know where we're going? Al-Qaeda, baby. <laughs> you got to walk, walk around the beach on there in the bikini. <laughs> so you were going on about the two years that you thought was going to get. How long did you end up getting anyway? Right, okay. They told me 10 if I took to court or 9 if I made a deal. I went, fuck that. Nine, 9 fucking year. I went, it's only fucking pills. They went, yes, but you do have quarter of a million. There's somebody who only had four Valium. But with the intent to sell, you got nine, yeah. With Spain, it's the intent, yeah. It's all about yeah. the intent. It's not about what you have. It's like if you have one, one ounce of cocaine or 
10 kilo of cocaine, you get nine years. But it's the, the intent to sell. It's the intent to sell. Even if you get caught with a bag that's wrapped up, if you're going to go to sell that bag, you'll get the same sentence as if you got 10 key, 100 key, or whatever. So nine year. Um, I went, fuck that, nine year. And then <laughs> I had to get my head around this, yeah? So I had to learn the language. I had to learn Spain, and I had to like try and mix with the top heads there. Um, top heads who know what they're doing, who were in for 160 kilos of this, 100 big... Big consignments. Yeah, from uh, Venezuela, Peru, Brazil, uh, Switzerland, France, Morocco, Algeria, Hash. Every country has a different drug, you know? So yeah. they all bring it into Spain. Spain seems to be the hot old. Yeah, yeah, that's where it all comes to. And from Spain, it goes into the rest of Europe. Yeah, I guess they buy so it Spain, around Europe. Yeah, yeah, because Spain are linked with everybody, really. They're yeah. Little, 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 yeah. And so... How, how long did you end up getting? I got douche, right, because they said, nine year, right, because I learned Spanish, I learned a language, a bet judge I got, they went, if you give him a bong of nine grand, including his fees, he'll get you half of that. I'm like, really? Am I right? Because in Spain, this at work. So I gave him nine grand, four and a half I got, and I served three years there. So, so that was how, how was your experience whilst in them type of prisons? I've been in these prisons most of my life. And yes. I've never been in a prison. English jails, yes. English jails, health, safety, this and that. It's all fucking shit and that, yeah. But um, like a fucking zoo. Uh, they just put everybody in with everybody. A third of the people got AIDS. They've got AIDS and um, they just get medication just to keep more fucking quiet. They're all doing 100 years, 140 years. Because in Spain, it works like this. Burglaries here, if you do two burglaries, three burglaries, four burglaries, five burglaries, you might get, okay, two year for that one, one year for that one, 18 year. I mean, for 18 months. One year, boom, boom, boom. But it runs concurrent. No. Yeah? It's been consec. Yeah. So if you do 10 burglaries, you end up doing about 12 to 15, yeah? Right? Yeah. Which is quite a long time, yeah? And when you're in there, they share needles. It's all about a brown in there. And they're all sharing needles. And they all end up with fucking AIDS. A third of people in Spain have got AIDS. If you look on the stats, is it a violent environment in there? Well, yes, yes, because they're all fucked up. And when heroin goes dry, they're all fucking on it. They're all on it, yeah. When nobody gets a visit and it's not on the wing, um, 40 heads on there, on, on my wing, because they're all fucking bit mental. And when it's not on there, when it goes dry, and then they go all a bit fucking harsh. Um, but when drugs are on the wing... It's okay. Everyone's a bit okay. Easy, easy, easy. Uh, it's just the debts you got to. It's just the debts, you know. Drug debts, what people get. I used to lend the money in there. A thousand pesetas for fifteen hundred back on the the next week, but it was like a running thing. And I had a lot of these guys, yeah, that used to lend two thousand pesetas for three back 
on the next Monday. And once they paid me the back, they need that back again, don't they? So then I get it back again. So I never got any money in jail. I was just making money in jail. So, that so when, did, when did that jail period end? When was you released from the Spanish custody? Released, on? right. I got released uh, 2000 and, what was it, 2002. 2002, 2003, I went back in. You went back in there or in this country? In this country. Don't know what's going on with Sean there. Yeah. Changing my battery. Changing his battery. So you went to jail in this country. What was that for, Chess? Well, okay. Um, controlling prostitution, blackmail, and conspiracy to supply class A. Bloody hell. Some nasty charges there. Yes, I know, yeah. I think it fills every gap, doesn't it? <laughs> I think it how long, how long did you get how long did you get in that sentence? Seven. That's harsh, um, isn't it, when you think about it? That's yeah. a harsh sentence for this Yeah, it was, yeah. It was. Well, that sentence I don't want to drag you to that. I don't really want to drag you to that sentence. Or right, that. okay, but Darren, yeah? Let me just explain something, yeah? Okay, um, when I c- c- come out of Spain, yeah? I got half my sentence, yeah? Yeah. For four and a half. So I thought I was a bit invincible, yeah? Okay? You know how it is, right? Yeah. You think, right, I'm fucking King fucking Kong here. So I joined the fucking firm. And Gate said they were doing the area. I joined them, but they were already getting watched by the feds. Uh, it's all a mistake on my part. It's all a mistake, naivety, um, stupidness. Don't make decisions when you're high. Um, it's all about that, isn't it, at the end of the day. And that's why I got involved with them, and then I got another one up my ass. Well, anyway, you're, you're out now. You're a completely reformed character. Yeah. What are you on now? You're back on your business. You're doing doing things that business, you've got yes. to do. Right, yes. Um, houses I do still. Properties. Um, I was just putting a show earlier. Doing out another house. I'm selling two houses. Three houses now, which I bought back in the, back in the day. Uh, they were only cheap back in the day. Nineties we're talking about. Now they're worth dollar. I've sold them. Um, I'm not going to say drug money's a fuck, whatever. Yeah, because I'm paying no tax on this motherfucker. Yeah, okay, but it's all good. It can all be shown. You're helping a lot of people. Yeah, with what you're doing now, you're helping a lot of people around the world, basically, aren't you? Can you do you want yes. to speak about that? Right, okay, yes. Um, right, um, I was going to India, Thailand, Cambodia, the, the, them areas, kids, orphans that are born with AIDS and HIV. Yeah, um, I just thought these kids have the worst, worst start in life, you know. Not as lot, right? We're, we're, we're all right here. You yeah. see kids here and you think, well, yeah, all right, fair enough. But kids over there that are born with HIV and AIDS, because the AIDS I know a lot about, and, you know, in jail, it just, like, came to me all that shit, yeah? yeah. Um, children are born with that. They're not meant to have that. You know, you're just like, bam, that's what you've got from birth. There you go. That's a hard shift. That's a hard 
you know, deal that you are dealt in life, isn't it? You know, um, you have no choice in that motherfucker. And then the parents get rid of the kid. I think these kids are the ones that need the fucking help. So I used to go to buy, uh, right, okay, I get a dollar in, get money in, my own money, and then I go to the to the orphanage and I see all the kids and I see, right, what's your size in shoes? What's your size in clothing? How many boys? How many girls? What do you actually fucking need? I don't hand them money over because when you go to them, they say, just give money. I went, no, no, no. I'm going to go and buy, okay? I said, let me see what they need. I'm going to ask them myself. And they tell me, and I make a fucking list, yeah? And I go and buy for them, <laughs> yeah? So nobody can take out of that, yeah? So nobody can take out of that. Not the well, people what that you've got, What you've got when you go to them charities, straight away from the top, of, from, from the get-go, they're taking 20% off what every donation are they? So it's, it's good if you can do it the way you've done it, to give it yeah. up from directly to the people that really need yeah. it. I want to move on to your book now because Sean's saying it's a powerful book and it's a powerful read. Do you yeah. want to want to talk about that? Does that give yeah. you what does it do? Does it give you a full description of your life from the early days to now, or is it just part of your life? Yeah, it's done right. Okay, it's part of my life. Yeah, it takes me up to two thousand and two when I came out of Spain. Um, I'm gonna do a second second book as well, but this first one is when I was three years old. And it takes me through the full story, really, what we've just, like, talked we've about. we just, like, bastardised yes. this. Yes, but it just goes through my emotions as well, yeah? yeah. Um, this book, really, I would say it's not like a gangster book, yeah? You know, it's, like, about my life. It's about hardship. It's about um, being an Asian kid. It's got a lot in it. It's got, it's got dealing with racism. As a as a as an Asian as an Asian child yeah. in this country, you got it. You got you talk about the NF and yeah. organizations like that. Yes. You got to yes. say, I think it's a fascinating fascinating story, and I've only heard a yes. little bit. Of it. Do you understand? Yes, because there's not many people who have been through all them stages from the sixties, right? Okay, seventies, eighties, nineties, and now, now. Yeah. And but I've experienced all of that, you know, and. That's all in there, and it's from the street, you know? It's from the bottom, because this is where we all start from, yeah? The bottom, yeah, the street, the gutter. Second-hand clothing, you can't even talk, you're in backward school, you're this, you're that, you're fucking all fucked up. Um, this is how we are, and this is and, and where we've come to, okay, from being them fucking backward fucking stupid kids with nothing, yeah? It's summer, I think. Something. Yeah, it is. It is. So, where can you get access to this book? Where is it going to be? Where can you pay? Uh, from Amazon. Paid? From it's from Amazon. Sean, do you want to? Yeah, it's available worldwide on Amazon as a paperback and an ebook. The audio book is presently getting narrated. We'll put the links in the description box for Chet's book, and he's got a part two coming out. And like what you've heard today, there's so much more. There's the gangs, the mayhem in the Spanish prison, yes. the Germans versus the Russians versus the locals, the, the weightlifting competitions, the, the flights. You know what, Chet and Sean, we probably could have went a bit further, but with the ability yeah, of the Wi-Fi and that, we, we need to get what we can before right, okay. it's up again. Next time, yeah? Next yeah, time. 
Well, we can we can have a, a, a better conversation, hopefully sure. in person with Sean asking the questions. What I was going to say to you, um, is there any regrets in your life? Do you hold any regrets? Would you have done anything different? If you had any, if you had a message for the children and the youth of today, what would that be? Okay. The regrets I've got, yeah, is when I was doing what I was doing, I should have kept my mouth shut a little bit more. Uh, not spoken to so many people. Uh, just spoken to the people that were tied to me, which really is my mum, really. <laughs> Apart from that, uh, I don't really have another one. So if I'd have told... But you know what it is? Um, just don't speak out. Just don't speak out because no one was happy. No one's happy if you're doing well. Right, so that's, that's a solid bit of advice, that, because the minute yeah. you start sharing your secrets, everyone wants to take them bring secrets. You, bring you down. They don't want to bring you down. Anybody, you, you see it in the news, the papers, this and that, if anybody's doing well, they love a story to bring you down. Yeah. Um. You you know all about it, Darren. You know all about oh, it. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm yeah. suffering in every single Yeah, I know. You know all about that. So... That's so with me, with me, I've come out of prison. I've changed my ways. I'm, I'm trying to encourage the youth to lead better paths of life and stay away from the people yes. that can damage them. Yes. What, what, what would you say to? Right. What would I say? Instead of drugs, gangsterism, this fucking bollocks, this firemen, firemen styles, paramedics. Uh, if you don't like that shit, you want to be an electrician. I can't even get an electrician, and they're on. 200 pound a day right okay i can't even get one to do any work for my houses um tilers plasterers anybody's skilled work it's not hard to get a skilled trade but if you're like fireman styles if you do that that's serious money people are on forty-four thousand a year and they only work half a year and even that half a year they spend asleep because I know them, because I know a lot of time. <laughs> they're, 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 what you're saying, what I'm gathering, Chef, what, you, what you'd say to the youth is swerve the gangsterism, swerve the yes. organized crime groups, yes. the drug dealing, all that gang banging type of shit. Get yourself a trade, get yourself into yes. a decent yes. form of employment, yes. and your life is a lot better and a lot more secure. Of course, of course. It's the only way forward. There is no other way forward, is there really? You know, you know it. Uh, police intelligence, CCTV, it's at the highest level. The credit cards, they know your every move. You can't make a move, really, unless you're working with the feds. But if you're working with the feds, if you want to go down that road, and then whatever. Yeah, but... Uh, yeah, the same. Uh, yeah. You, don't start uh, work, you only start working with the feds when you're involved in criminality anyway. So the bottom yes. line is avoid the gangs, avoid the yeah. organised crime. Yeah, yeah. Life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Sean. We'll let him come back. Then we'll say. Yeah, okay. Know. Sorry, yeah, the phone rang. Yeah. It's all right, Chet. We'll, we'll, we'll right, okay. It's been fifty minutes in. Obviously, we stalled for a few minutes in, in between. Yes. We will have a second opportunity when you're ready uh -huh. to, to sit down with me, you and Sean, and do whatever. We're uh -huh. going to end this live feed. It's been. It's been. I'm grateful for you giving your time up to us and sharing your story with us. Thank you as well. The book sounds very interesting. I'll probably get a copy off Sean. I'm gonna send you a signed copy, Darren. Yeah, okay. Yes. I'll get. Uh, I'll, okay, I'll. I'll sell that for you. 
Put that up there, Sean. Show, show, show the the view is what it is exactly. Explain just a little bit more. Have you got an ISBN number there? Is there anything on the back that you can identify it with? Well, I can read the back. So in 1999. Hang on, hang on. Um, I'd just like to say, Chet, stay there a minute while he reads the back. But as soon as he's finished with the back, we're going to be shutting the live down. So it's been it's been a great experience speaking to you, mate. And thanks for giving us the time and speaking to us. And you, and you. Thanks, mate. In 1999, Chet Sandu was arrested at gunpoint in Alicante Airport for smuggling the largest quantity of illicit pharmaceutical drugs in Spanish history. Overnight, he went from living in the shadows of the Costa del Crimes underworld to being labelled a notorious supervillain in the international press, incarcerated alongside murderers, rapists and terrorists in a supermax security wing he had to navigate a world of murderous knife fights, prison breaks, drug taking, and high stake power plays. In self made Jews paid, learn how a British born Asian kid with disabilities, raised in a corner shop, emerged as a protector of his family from racist thieves and hooligans. Be prepared to be entertained, informed, and offended by Chet's no-holes-barred account of raves, drugs, bodybuilding, entering the fashion industry, working the doors, and life in one of the world's deadliest places to be incarcerated. And it is gripping as hell and funny as fuck as well. It's, it's, it's brilliant. I know you read it. You, yeah, I know you, you liked it, Sean. You said that. <laughs> yeah, it's superb. Thanks yeah. a lot, mate, and we'll be speaking to you again. Sean, right, Darren. we'll speak to you in a second. Take care, Chet, brother. Sure. Rather Thanks for watching, everyone. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers. So, Sean, we're still on live. Okay, okay great. So, thanks for that, mate. You set it up. I think it, it stalled halfway through to, due to technical difficulties, so it sort of harmed us a little bit. But what a man he is, you know, what a story he's got. And it's, it's only damn right that he's got a book out there so individuals can read his struggle and where he's at now. Have you got anything you want to say at the end there, Sean? Yeah, I mean, to go for everything Chet has been through and then to get rid of the gangsteritis and to fly around the world helping kids with AIDS. Because I know, like, up to up, up to a third of them where I was housed in Arizona had hepatitis C. So I got to learn all the ins and outs of hep C. It sounds like Chet went through the same thing. He got to learn the ins and outs of these people with AIDS. And like he said, you know, these kids, they're born with it. it, it it's not a good shift. Their lives, you know, they're going to have to deal with that. They're probably going, their lives are going to be shortened. To go out and help those kids, it's just such a heartwarming end to the story. And Darren, I just want to take my hat off to you. I just sat there mesmerized, you guys speaking. I didn't have to say anything. And you're just such a powerful host in your own right. You, you just got a completely different side out of chat than I'd previously got outside of him on my channel. So, you know, hats off to you, to your powers as a presenter. Well, nice one, Sean. Well, I don't, I don't consider myself a presenter just yet. I'm not a learning curve. Every time I get on this learning curve, I seem to get shut down. But as always, we link up. Everything positive starts kicking into my life and I start creating content that's powerful. I'd just like to reiterate um, about what he does with them kids who have got AIDS in them very, very dire places. And, it's you know, we can only be appreciated for his actions, can't he? So anyone that wants to read Chet, Chet Sandu's book, you want to get to know his story a lot more, a lot deeper, 
you know, I'll see if I can get the link and put it up there. It's been it's been a great second interview. Yeah. All right, peace out, everyone. Keep it real. As always, thank you, Sean. We'll speak we'll speak off live. And then um to the viewers that's locked in this afternoon who weren't expecting this live feed, thanks for popping in. I don't know where you are or what you were doing, but it's appreciated that you've came in to watch it. Next time you'll you'll get a lot more notice so you can plan ahead and see if you want to pop in then. What a guy Chet Sandu is and his book. What's it called again, Sean? Self-made Jews paid, available worldwide on Amazon. There you go, self-made Jews paid. If you can and you can afford to, go and get it. Peace out till five. Shall choose a life, not a knife. The Real Crime, Real Time podcast. Take care, everyone. Chet Sandu's book is finally available worldwide on Amazon. He's one of our most viral podcast guests ever. The book is called Self-Made Jews Paid, an Asian kid who became an international drug smuggling gangster. Do you want to read some of the back, Jen? Yeah, go the blurb. In 1999, Chet Sandu was arrested at gunpoint in Alicante Airport for smuggling the largest quantity of illicit pharmaceutical drugs in Spanish history. Interesting. Overnight, he went from living in the shadows of the Costa del Crimes underworld to being labelled a notorious supervillain in the international press. Incarcerated alongside murderers, rapists and terrorists in a super maximum security wing. He had to navigate a world of murderous knife fights, prison breaks, drug taking and high stake power plays. Good bedtime read. In self-made Jews paid, learn how a British-born Asian kid with disabilities raised in a corner shop emerged as a protector of his family from racist thieves and hooligans. Be prepared to be entertained, informed and offended by Chet's no-holes-barred account of raves, drugs, bodybuilding, entering the fashion industry. Did you know that he dated Kylie Minogue and Naomi yes. Campbell? <laughs> latest interview. Working the doors and life in one of the world's deadliest places to be incarcerated. If you enjoyed Chet's podcast series with us, there's a lot more detail in the book. Check it out. Worldwide on Amazon, ebook, paperback, and audiobook.